Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. I'm going to be getting around to the Democrat caucuses, but I won't begin with that excitement in this program episode. In the previous program, I made mention of this young woman, lovely, young, 18-year-old woman in New York City that was slaughtered. She's a woman not of color, a teenage girl, a student at Barnard College in New York City. She was slaughtered by a, an individual who was 14 years of age. He's on the verge of 15 now. They did not show the individual, and of course they never refer to the races of people that commit these things unless they, <laughs> the only time I've seen criminal offenders, suspects, who have allegedly committed something, the only time I see their race mentioned is if they are Caucasian or so-called white. But this individual's name Roshan Weaver, which <laughs> indicates with virtual certainty that he is of color, as they say. He wasn't alone. He had an uh, accomplice, and then there were others when he slaughtered this girl. The criminal complaint mentioned in addition to murder, or homicide, and second-degree murder. Also mentioned robbery and rape in the first degree, and sexual assault in the first degree, and it went on. But what he was charged with left out the four charges pertaining to rape. Even though they were in the first degree. This matter of degrees is so terribly modern, so terribly contemporary, and so diametrically contrary to justice. The New York Police Department Commissioner and the Manhattan District Attorney, I believe, could have been an associate or assistant district attorney. But they referred to Tessa Majors now getting justice, that she will get justice, that they have reached a major milestone on the way to obtaining justice for Tessa Majors. Tessa Majors was attacked heinously, brutally attacked, raped, murdered. Amazingly enough, she managed to stagger out of the park and died on the sidewalk, bled to death. She had been stabbed in the heart, had been stabbed numerous times in the torso and upper body. This nation knows nothing of justice. I have commented before concerning this matter of second-degree murder. You know, there has been an extremely unjust, evil thing that has been foisted upon the American, the decent American people for many, many decades, and that is pleading down charges, pleading to lesser charges because the district attorneys, assistant district attorneys, associate district attorneys, whoever they are, they want to get convictions. They don't want these things to drag on forever. They want to get 
credit for these things. They want a stellar record of convictions. And so they will plead down. They will bargain and bargain concerning these heinous, monstrous crimes. There is no place in the nation that is more notable for this than New York City. There may be some places as inexcusable, but none more so than New York City. And what I have seen in case after case after case after case in New York City is that even before they get to the plea bargaining stage, they open up with only charging these monstrous, heinous murderers with second-degree murder. And they can excuse it. They can say, well, it was, you know, spontaneous, a crime of passion, whatever nonsense they want to say. Cases which absolutely speak of premeditation, of heinous, sadistic, torturous murder, and yet they are charged to open negotiations, negotiations charged with only second-degree murder, and then it's pled down from there. Who is this due to? Who is responsible for this monstrous, pervasive, persistent, protracted miscarriage of justice in New York City and across the country? Well, in New York City, some individuals that come to mind are Michael Bloomberg, Rudy Giuliani, and so forth. The usual suspects. What do mayors have to do with this? Well, Rudy Giuliani, dear Rudy, he was assistant DA, DA, In New York City. And then, of course, used that as the launch pad for his political career. Which I would say culminated with his run for president. Others might say, no, that there have been other (laughs) higher points or lower points, depending on your perspective, such as working for the president, this president. But. To begin the process with only charging these destroyers with second-degree murder. It is beyond outrageous. It is exceedingly wicked. It is utterly dishonest, intellectually dishonest. And what does it result in? It means that there is no possibility of execution. None. That's off the table. So whether this is in New York State, in California, in Illinois, anywhere else in the country, when these monstrous destroyers are only charged with second-degree murder, there is no possibility of them being executed. If they're charged with first-degree murder, there is great likelihood the charges will be reduced. And, of course, in a very great number of states, there's no possibility of execution under any circumstances because of our enlightened, advanced thinking. Certainly, the Bible should not be referenced with regard to this because... (laughs) What does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do with the price of eggs? What do we need the Bible for? To show us how blind and ignorant and wicked we are. How guilty we are. Justice in this nation is an urban myth. In the Bible, God Almighty provided for the people of Israel, the Hebrews whom he brought out of enslavement in Egypt, 
whom he brought into the Holy Land, into Israel, which then was later divided into two kingdoms of Judea and Israel. But he gave them the law, and he provided that there would be cities of refuge for certain individuals to resort to in order not to be executed for their crimes. Guess which killers you can call them if you want to, but guess which individuals who had caused other people to die were eligible to resort to one of these cities of refuge. Only those who had unwittingly, unintentionally caused the death of another person. In other words, accidentally. They were the only ones that were eligible to seek to flee to a city of refuge. If one of these others fled to the city of refuge, they would be cast out from there, and they would be executed. Only those who had unwittingly, unintentionally, accidentally caused another person to die. That would not include, for instance, in this day and age, that would not include drunk, stoned drivers slaughtering people without really intending to. It wouldn't. Because unwittingly, unintentionally, accidentally does not include such gross criminal negligence as that. But again, we are so advanced. We are so far removed from the Bible. We know so much better. And for these commissioners and these district attorneys and so forth, to speak of justice for those who have been monstrously slaughtered is a damnable lie. Moving on. Of course, we have these exciting, terribly exciting, Democrat caucuses, the big bad caucuses, in the great state of Nevada, or Nevada, but again, people in the state, from the state, apparently prefer the pronunciation Nevada. People from away frequently err and use the pronunciation Nevada. Even though I prefer that pronunciation, I will use the correct pronunciation. Either one can be used alternately, but Nevada. It'll be interesting to see if the various Democrat contenders, how many of them choose to refer to the state as Nevada or Nevada. But I'm not watching on TV. I don't know. What I do know is this is massive pandering and demagoguery that the Democrat candidates are engaged in. But that is always, always, without exception, the case with Democrat candidates. Of course, Joe Biden has been leading the way with regard to Nevada and South Carolina interchangeably, but focused on the black vote in South Carolina that makes up approximately 60% of the registered Democrat voters not to say that all of them will be voting, necessarily. After all, the voting in the Iowa caucuses and the voting in the New Hampshire primary was far below what was anticipated. That's right. The candidates just didn't manage to really excite 
the electorate. Shocker there. But here we have in Nevada, 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 we have the first ethnic contest. Large Mexican population, a.k.a. Hispanic Latino population. But also they have a great many people who are not Mexican and so forth who have nonetheless migrated to Nevada from California for work or for lower cost housing or to get away from all of the myriad problems in California, so very, 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 very many of which have been created by the Democrat Party. So this whole matter of Democrat caucuses in Nevada is just beyond the pale. It is just absurd. But nonetheless, Joe Biden, we need to hear from Nevada, or Nevada, whichever one he uses, and South Carolina, the most important, the most committed constituency in the Democrat Party is the black, the African-American constituency. I'm paraphrasing, but that is virtually word for word what Joe has said, the great man himself. It's ironic. He has been a U.S. senator for ages. He was close, very close with Senate Majority Leader, who was at various times Minority Leader and other times Majority Leader, Harry Reid of Nevada. He was very close to him. They agreed on a great deal. But then if you don't agree with the Democrat Party line... They will run somebody or buddies against you and get you out of there. That's, that's the usual protocol. But Harry Reid left the U.S. Senate. He is said to be suffering with cancer at this time, 80 years of age. So just a smidgen older than Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, Michael Bloomberg, and so forth. But... He has stated that he will not endorse. He will not make an endorsement until the results of the caucuses are in. What is that about? What about his pal, you know, his partner in crime, Joe Biden? (laughs) They were joined at the hip for so very long, and here he, he... deals this terrible blow to Joe Biden, who is greatly in need of some assistance. Really remarkable. But, oh well, Joe. Meanwhile, Joe, the great blue-collar champion, the champion of unions, and Nevada has union membership, large union membership. In Clark County, Nevada, synonymous with (laughs) casinos and so forth. Las Vegas. But the Culinary Workers Union, 60,000 strong, has announced they will not endorse a candidate. But instead will work collectively to accomplish the defeat of the incumbent president, Donald Trump. Again, what a terrible blow to Joe Biden. I mean, he's counting on rebounding strongly in Nevada. Honestly, the only thing going for him here is that little Mikey Dukakis Bloomberg, little lewd, profane, vile, Michael Bloomberg is not in the contest. He didn't file in time to be there. But 
We shall see what excitement prevails in Nevada. Nevada, which is more than 80% owned, taken over by the federal government and the state government. More than 80%, in excess of 80% of the state, the geography, the topography, the land, and the water rights have been seized by the federal government and the state government in Nevada. But, perhaps you saw the exciting news that there are rumors of a dream ticket in the Democrat Party. A dream ticket. Hmm. What would a dream ticket for the Democrat Party look like, I wonder? Would it, would it look like, you know, one of Bill Clinton's cabinets? You know, a cabinet that looks like America, where you have, of course, many women, many brown people, many black people, many Asian, Oriental people, and, of course, a dwarf here or there, and... Uh, Of course, others who have perhaps suffered horrible disabling wounds fighting for this nation, something like that, just, you know, to look like America. What is the dream ticket now for the Democrat Party that is being rumored? It is billionaire... Michael Bloomberg and Hillary Rodham Clinton. Outstanding. You know, it's fascinating, and Hillary seems to be thrilled with this, as well she should be. As well she should be. But this is a threesome that the United States of America cannot, oh, Cannot suffer. (laughs) No. Threesome. What do you mean by threesome? Well, really, it's Hillary and Bill. It's a twofer. When Bill came to office as president, he announced that the American people were getting a twofer. Of course, he didn't bother to announce that on the campaign trail. But once he had won the presidency, he announced to the American people that they were getting a twofer. They were getting... Himself and Hillary Rodham Clinton as co-president. And then, of course, you know, inconsequential Albert Arnold Gore Jr. as vice president Veep. And Hillary exercised a great deal of power as vice president. Al Gore was, he was inconsequential, but... Hillary, dear Hillary, that champion of women, of women's rights and of children, Hillary, she manned, womaned the war room in the White House for the next eight years, savaging every woman that attempted to bring charges of rape an attempted rape against Bill Clinton, savaging them. This wonderful champion of women. Fascinating that after her marriage of convenience with Bill, vile, lewd, profane, perverse, rapacious Bill Clinton, fascinating that she seems to be tickled pink to be being talked about joining forces with Lyle, pardon me, lying, vile, lewd, profane, rapacious Mikey. Mikey Bloomberg. Billionaire Bloomberg. Well, it is something that is very exciting to look forward to. Dream ticket. Dream ticket to me implies 
that this is the best that they could hope for, the best that the Democrat Party could hope for, right? It's the ultimate, you know, like the dream team in the Olympics, where the Olympic Games became officially professional, and the United States would send teams consisting of all of the most famous, rich basketball stars in the nation to the Olympics. The Olympics has never been the same. It's just been, especially in that sport. But this dream team, is this really the best and the brightest that the Democrat Party has to offer? Michael Bloomberg's a pretty bright guy. And, of course, Hillary has for so very long sold herself, humbly, modestly, mind you, as being the smartest woman in the world, make that the smartest person in the world. But when I say brightest, I'm not referring to, when I say the best and the brightest, I'm not referring to IQ, which Donald Trump is always talking about what a massive IQ he has. You can't tell it from the, from the way he communicates and so forth, but rather just the opposite. But when I'm speaking of brightest, I'm referring to something else indeed. Character, honor, righteousness, godliness. The Democrat Party is devoid of those qualities. And this twosome, Michael Bloomberg and Hillary Rodham Clinton, which will morph into, if it becomes a reality at the convention, it will morph into a threesome. And then Michael had better watch his back. He'd better be smarter than to do this to himself. But Not that I care what happens to Mikey, but he better be smarter than to put Bill and Hillary one heartbeat away from the presidency if he wants to enjoy a long presidency should he manage to stumble into the presidency. Before I go further, permit me to just to say this. I am Brad Thomas. This is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is lacking, erring, deficient, that is due to me. That's on me. That is my fault. But this matter of the Democrat caucuses in Nevada and then the subsequent week later Democrat primaries in South Carolina, caucuses, in Nevada tomorrow, then a week after that, so that's the 22nd on George Washington's birthday. Horrendous that this should happen on George's birthday, but a week later on the 29th, the South Carolina primaries, where we get to hear from the most committed constituency in the Democrat Party. Fascinating, really. I mean, the the population numbers, as far as black, African-American, people of color, here in the United States of America, something like 13%. Yes, it's vastly higher than that in the major metropolitan areas, in very, very, very many of them. But... The most committed constituency. I spoke of this in the previous program. Now, I would say the most committed is the Jewish vote, the Jewish factor, which is overwhelmingly Democrat also. The black vote and the Jewish vote. This is core enslaved vote (laughs) and they are diametric opposites it's just it's 
really, in so many ways, it's just ironic to me. It's incredible that these should be the most counted upon constituencies. What about feminists? What about sodomites? They are absolutely, totally Democrat. You know, 99.99999% unless they're voting communist. And, of course, this year they have the opportunity to vote, well, the next thing. But extraordinary. Then we move on to Super Tuesday. The following Tuesday. And just so many exciting things to look forward to. But if Joe Biden doesn't have a resounding victory in South Carolina and doesn't come out on top, regardless how narrowly, in Nevada, Super Tuesday is going to be a long night. For Joe, I do think. Because, why would that be? Well, because the big benefactors, the deep pockets of political funding will undoubtedly desert him if he cannot wrest a victory in Nevada, which Harry Reid and the Culinary Workers Union are doing their best to deprive him of, and if he cannot come through with an absolutely resounding victory in South Carolina. But there are so many other wonderful candidates, aren't there? Just so many others. There's Sodomite Pete, and there is Socialist Bernie. You know, so much is made of his socialism, right? And the younger generation to them, that is fine. (laughs) If he was calling himself a communist, that would be fine with so many in the younger generations. But socialist, the Democrat Party is socialist. It's only a matter of degrees here. Yes, he's ultra-left. So, there are all kinds of so, so hardcore people as that who fundamentally are socialist, even if they lean to the fascist side, like Hillary, instead of the communist side, like Bernie. <laughs> but they still are socialists. Fascism, communism, both socialist. But so much excitement. Can't wait to see what the results are. I'm sure they will be just, oh, it's just wonderful. Meanwhile, as I commented on previously, in the great nation of Syria, under the Notorious dictatorship of Bashar al-Assad, who is working hand-in-glove with Vladimir Putin of the Russian Federation, president for life. Both of these men, dictator for life. It's just that some of the Russian people don't know it yet with regard to Vladimir. He has been since he got in. Since he replaced Boris Yeltsin, he has been dictator for life. They just haven't realized it. But working hand in glove, the United States military, in harm's way, throughout the Middle East, throughout Central Asia, courtesy of one administration after another, after another. And if there is a change in administrations, do you really think that's going to change? 
If there's a change in administrations, are the American troops then going to be removed from harm's way? Perhaps. You know, just like the incumbent tried to remove a small contingency, which is all we had there in Syria, at the time that he blatantly encouraged the Islamist president, Erdogan of Turkey, to attack the Kurdish peoples who had done so much of the fighting and bleeding in order to root out ISIS and put an end to their caliphate. But let's say on the positive side that if these Democrats, whoever they run in the general election, if they manage to squeak past Donald Trump or to win by a landslide, doesn't matter if they make it into the White House and if they remove all American troops serving in the Middle East and Central Asia from harm's way, what will follow? Well, for one thing, they won't be removing them, undoubtedly, won't be removing them from Germany, from Japan, from Korea, and the list goes on, even though they should. But what will happen? What will transpire? Just more of the same of what's going on over there. The United States of America after suffering massive, horrendous, gruesome loss to so very many servicemen. It permitted another Islamist regime, minus Saddam Hussein, minus Hussein Hussein Uday, minus those boys, So there's another Islamist regime, whoop, that is very close with the Iranian Islamist regime. And then in Afghanistan, oh, we toppled the bad guys, right? (laughs) And there's another Islamist regime. This fabulous, brilliant, inspired Democratic nation-building. When I say democratic there, I'm not referring to the Democrats. Democratic nation-building. Fashioning democratic republics. And republic not referring to Republicans. It's just the most extraordinary pipe dream that there has perhaps ever been in the history of humankind. I would say that it is the single most extraordinary pipe dream of all time. And while George W. Bush and Dick Cheney deserve a great measure of blame for it, so do the Democrats for supporting it, going along with it, being a party to it. But, so what will transpire? Things will spiral out of control. Like they're in control now, they will spiral out of control. And they will reach such a fever pitch that there will be a cry for the United States of America to get involved. To help out poor NATO and the Western alliance that is struggling there without the United States of America. NATO, which has declared that it will be taking a much larger role now. Yes. So, (laughs) that's if the Democrats get in. If the incumbent President Trump continues on as commander and tweeter-in-chief. Same scenario. Really. 
Same exact scenario. So we can change (laughs) the people in charge. It's not going to change the outcome with regard to that. However, it will change the outcome possibly in one place, in one area, and that's in Israel. Not to say that that isn't terribly precarious anyway, thanks to the likes of President Trump and Jared Kushner and their great Palestinian peace plan. But this nation which has no clue what justice is and no desire to execute righteous judgment and justice, nor to exercise mercy and loving kindness, is incapable of knowing what to do around the world. Oh, but we are being so merciful and compassionate to the destroyers. God Almighty stated that he would be merciful to the merciful, not to the murderers, not to the destroyers. But we have got it the other way around. As does, of course, the Vatican, the Roman Catholic abomination. But justice does not prevail, will not prevail in this nation, absent a spiritual reform. This president that we have now, he's not as terrible as those that are running against him. He is not doing as horrendous a disservice to this nation as president as they will do, as they have done, the likes of Hillary Rodham and Bill. As Michael Bloomberg did in New York City and has continued to nationwide through his billionaire activism since then. It's ironic, this comparatively small man. He epitomizes big government. But I can't wait to see a campaign ad showing him directing a tank from sitting atop the tank, his torso outside of the turret, I can't wait, should be exciting, but this nation, which rejects and refuses the truth of God, yes, there are great many God-fearing, God-honoring, God-worshipping, God-obeying people in this nation, a great many. But they are nonetheless contrary to the polling data, contrary to any census data or anything else like that. They still comprise a minority in this nation. What? No, I'm not talking about church-going people, which is a very different thing. But We reject and we refuse justice. Nobody in the history of humanity has had a better grasp, a better understanding of justice than God Almighty. But we in our enlightened, self-aggrandizing way, we reject that. And we embrace the vain philosophers and their vain philosophies, the social scientists, so-called, and their lies. And our nation spirals out of control, as is the case with UK, United Kingdom, Europe, and what have you, and even Israel. I mean, there is no greater miracle on the face of the earth than modern Israel, the modern state of Israel, which is extremely socialist, 
extremely left-wing, and by and large, atheist and agnostic. Their survival is the most incredible miracle ever. But they credit it to their brilliance, their technological prowess, their heroism, and so forth. And they don't recognize that God Almighty has been saving them and delivering them. And then some of them will give some measure of credit to the United States of America. The plain, simple truth is only God has been sparing that nation. But not that it is deserving, because it's not. But here in the United States of America, where there is no justice, there is no judgment, There is no mercy nor loving kindness for the merciful who are destroyed by the evil. And campaigning for president is pandering, demagoguery, and of course then (laughs) what President Trump does, which is something else. Something else altogether. <laughs> it's, it's Trumpian. But what a pity. Here we are wedged in between the birth anniversaries of President Abraham Lincoln on the 12th, President George Washington on the 22nd. There used to be commemoration of both of their birthdays. And then, of course... That was combined into President's Day so that there could be a sop given to Martin Luther King Jr. But here we are in a nation which, (laughs) after so much blood spilled, after so much suffering and so many wars, is stripped of the essence of what this nation was supposed to be. The strength of this nation was never military might, nor was it vast natural resources nor was it extraordinary beauty and comparatively moderate climates. And I'm speaking from northern New England, where the climate is something short of moderate. But those were never the strengths. Those are the things that are ballyhooed, but those were never the strengths. Others would say it's the diversity of the population. No, that wasn't one of the strengths either. It was the faith. The faith of small numbers of God-fearing, God-honoring people who took their lives in their hands to come to this country. No, they were not just fleeing persecution. No. They were following what they were convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt was God's instruction, which is the only reason that they hazarded their lives, their families' lives, to come here. We hear about the founding fathers, so-called, You know, George Washington's circle and generation and what have you. They were not the founders. They were not the founding fathers. The pilgrims were, and the Puritans were, who've been so maligned by those on the left for so long. That was the strength of this nation, was faith in God, faith in Christ. 
which is something very hard to be found in the vast majority of Christian churches, let alone Catholic ones, and not at all in Jewish ones, but synagogues. But this nation, as it has become more and more and more diluted, it has lost virtually all of its virtuous, God-fearing, God-honoring faith. This nation of people, many of whom profess to be Christians, time and again have elected, have supported candidates that are horrendously ungodly. The likes of Bill and Hillary. So it would be altogether fitting and proper for them to turn out in large numbers for Michael Bloomberg. Entirely fitting and proper. But a picture is worth a thousand words, they say. And Pete Buttigieg and his hubby are that picture of a nation which is absolutely teetering on the abyss. President Trump can say, God bless America, and rah, 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 all he wants. And all of the pastors of all the biggest churches and denominations can say that too. It will not stay the hand of God. The nation that rebels against God is a nation which God himself will go to war against. If you want Evidence of that, look at ancient Israel, the apple of God's eye. And God Almighty testified that he literally, he sent the enemies, the barbarians against them, and he himself warred against his own people. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.